Hey friends, my name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Ed Welch about his new devotional, a small book about why we hide, how Jesus rescues us from insecurity, regret, failure, and shame. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Edward Welch is a licensed psychologist and faculty member at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, also known as CCEF. He earned a PhD in counseling from the University of Utah and has a Master's of Divinity from Biblical Theological Seminary. Ed has been counseling for nearly 40 years and has written extensively on the topics of depression, fear, and addiction. His biblical counseling books include Shame Interrupted, When People Are Big and God is Small, Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest, among many, many others. Hey, good morning, Ed. Thank you so much for joining us for the show today. No, thank you, Christine. I enjoy talking about these things, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, I am super thankful to be able to have the opportunity to host this conversation on your brand new book, a small book about why we hide, how Jesus rescues us from insecurity, regret, failure, and shame. Um, but before that's a we long di- title. I know, and that's why I'm like, I know I had to kind of read it. I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up. But um, before we do uh, get any further, I'd love for you to take a few minutes to tell the audience a little bit about why you wanted to write this book. I suspect the first reason for, I I guess this is the way it is for most books. It was personal. It was, it was material in scripture that was good for my soul and I wanted to keep at it. So, so certainly um, the, the experience of regrets, of failure, I'd say shame in smaller doses is certainly, certainly something that I am familiar with. Uh, I think by nature, I, I, I have had sort of this tendency in my relationship with the Lord to always see myself as as less than, as different as other. Uh, I was just thinking this morning about how occasionally I would have these conversations with my wife, where where she is going to be in different different area code than I am in heaven, and I just hope I have visiting rights every once in a while to be able to see her. Um, but I also I also end up thinking, well, I'll be perfected, so I'll be really glad that she's in a better place than I am. But yeah, I'm, I'm just giving you a sense of these are these are sort of the background things that have have been some part of my Christian life. So regrets and failures, I'm I'm really quite familiar with them. And to hear these beautiful words of Scripture have been have been real bombs for my own soul. And I found over the years that they're not just beautiful words, but they're beautiful words that make a difference. I, I pray in different ways as, as a result of some of the things that are a part of this book. So, so one reason I wrote it, it's very personal. The other is that, that the themes in scripture that are especially important are the ones that come up really early and show up often. And the theme of hiding, of separation from God and separation from other people, that's the first thing you see when the world falls apart in, in Genesis 2 and 3. 
So personally, it's been useful, and it's a really big theme in scripture. I guess there is one other part to it as well. I have wanted to try to make things more accessible as I've gotten older, and I recognize that not everybody's going to read a 250-page book, but if there can be shorter, concise features that, that we have access to, that is a good thing, which is the way we tend to read scripture. If we, if we read scripture according to episodes, we're going to read really small chunks of, of scripture. If we're going to read scripture according to, we want to, we want to deal with this one particular miracle or these, these particular statements by Jesus, it would be broken down into pretty small pieces. And so, so I've tried to imitate that in some way with whatever and when you reference the 250 pages, are you referencing Shame Interrupted, your bigger volume on shame? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually was thinking about it. I, I haven't looked at the, the length of that particular book, but, but certainly this is a continuation of Shame Interrupted for me. And, and when, I, when I sent that to the publisher, I, I suggested then, I think this is too, lo- too long and I'll either, I'll be glad to make it shorter or make it two or three different books. And I think it was too late in the process to do that. But, but you can see that, that, that desire of how can, since you know, it, it's this theme of Scripture, Scripture is accessible to us. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't demand that we have to sit there for hours and hours and hours for to get you know, one particular thing. And I'm, just, I'm trying to imitate that in, in some small way by by making things easier to to hear and, and shorter so we can meditate on one thing rather than five things. But yeah, shame interrupted was in my mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just in case for, for those who might not have known that that was also something you worked, um, I'm sure, very hard on um, some years ago to put out for our benefit. So thank you for both of these particular books and how they've um, really been used by the Lord to help us think through everything that you just talked about, how the scriptures really speak into these lived experiences and, and how um, even a term I think I've gotten from you, which I believe you got from someone else, the term divine hospitality and uh, just how the Lord really does have a very gracious, divine, hospitable stance to those who do wrestle with insecurity and regret and shame. And I guess what would be helpful for us, just in terms of defining what it is that we're talking about today, and you do a really great job in this devotional of, of helping us to understand from a biblical perspective some of these things. And so maybe would you take a minute and just define what even is shame as we're sitting here talking about it from a a biblical perspective? Christine, that's an important question, so push me in places where it might not be clear. The first thing I think of are a couple images. The experience of shame is, is one where, well, it's we feel uncovered, we feel exposed, we feel naked, and they're, they're the hiding imagery. We feel unpresentable before the Lord. And in other words, we're going to find in Scripture, there's a kind of dirtiness about us. There's an uncleanness about us. If we want to get to, to words that are more common to people who, where shame is part of their daily lives, they're a disgrace. They, they, they feel like a disgrace. And, and that's always in sort of the back of, of their hearts. But the, the image is you are seen. You are exposed. You're unpresentable. As exposed, people see you, both people and God see you, and they either look away from you because it's because it's a disgrace, or they stare at you because you're so different 
and people aren't supposed to walk around naked in the way that you are and you want to be, you would prefer not to be seen. So that would be one image that scripture uses with the experience of shame, naked and exposed. The second would be a related one, would be a shame is you are distanced. You are far away. You are other. You are you are far away from other people, and you are far away from God. The farther away from God, the farther away from other people, the more our life simply feels like death itself. And, I, and perhaps we'll talk about that a little bit more, because I think that that idea of we're far away in shame. We're unclean. This is this Old Testament picture. We truly are unclean when, when we are shamed. And the Lord is constantly saying, come closer. I will be the one to cleanse you. Come closer. Come closer. Come into my house and then come closer still. And so being unpresentable is one image. Being far away, I think, is the second one. The, the reason why is because something we've done failure that a major failure that other people have witnessed a a sin a technicolor sin that other people have witnessed or and i think this is this is really the genius of biblical shame it's it's what has been done to us and in our own hearts it's hard to distinguish when we feel when we have been contaminated by the victimization or the abuse of other people when we look at ourselves it just looks like blackness. It looks like dirtiness. And it's hard for us to distinguish, well, who did that dirtiness? Was it me or somebody else? And we tend, we tend to attribute it to ourselves. So why do we feel naked and exposed? Why do we feel far away? Because somehow we are unacceptable because of things that we have done or that other people have done to us. Perhaps the, <clears throat> the end result of it, if we want one, one particular word, would be, I am utterly unlovable. I'm utterly unlovable. And, and as a result, we have an immunity to Scripture. When Scripture speaks of what is, what is the grand unifying theory of Scripture, the, the God who brings us close to himself and he loves us, he speaks of this, not just love, but this abundant, overflowing love, not because of who we are, but simply because he loves us. There's the grand unifying theory, and a person familiar with shame believes that earnestly for another person but they cannot be persuaded of it. It's, it seems like they have an immunity for themselves. So, so that's, part of the, that's part of the description of shame, but it also shows the challenge of shame as we begin to move into scripture. Because those good words, when, you, when you're persuaded you're unlovable, they're simply not relevant to you personally. Even as you're offering those descriptions, I know it's a it's a common thing that we have to wrestle through or a common question we wrestle through is, okay, well, how is this different than, than guilt? And I think ultimately the there are two very different images. Guilt has a bit of a courtroom image. Shame has a much more, <clears throat> we're out in the marketplace. It's a relational image. You can go like this. We feel dirty. So we we are brought into the courtroom and God's courtroom. and we. We hear being justified by the work of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. We hear of that. And we hear this proclamation, not guilty, from God himself. So, so nobody can speak against that particular verdict. And then we go outside into the marketplace, and nothing has changed. That's the, the, so guilt has been spoken to in the courtroom. 
But in some ways, it doesn't feel like it matters because when we go out into the marketplace, when we walk around, we, we, are, we still have this, this keen sense that we are unpresentable before others and we are distanced from both God and other people. So in, in, in that sense, guilt is, it includes, I mean, shame includes guilt, but it's really much larger than guilt. We can, we can believe that we've been forgiven for our sins, but we can still feel shame. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for offering that that picture for us. And I'd like to spend to just a quick minute because you talk a lot about the theme of hiding um, in this particular book. And something that was really insightful that you wrote was uh, you, you pointed out the fact that even our desires to, quote, disappear or die in response to what have happened are extreme versions of hiding. And I have never thought about it that way. You also observe that God, quote, knows we can't both hide and flourish. Why is that true? Uh, going back to this de desire to hiding is I either disappear or die. I had a conversation this morning with, with someone, and those were the very words this, this person said. They, the person was was looking at their life and all these all these very very difficult things that have happened to her and she felt like she was culpable in some of them and the only thing she could do is say those almost really those very words i i want to disappear sort of fly away you know the psalms i want if, if only i could just fly away and be somewhere deserted that would be one but the other thing she said is is the only way to resolve this is if I could have died much earlier. And then, then perhaps all this, all these things that have fallen apart related to my life and things that have been done and, and things that have been done to me. If only I could have died, but I couldn't even do that correctly. So, so those words, here's here's an active person in her church, and those words were not not far from her. Hiding almost wasn't wasn't enough. The other question, can we hide and flourish at the same time? Christine, where you take me to there is, is to try to understand the ways of God's house and how do things work in God's house. And the easiest way to capture the contours, the culture of God's house is to get into the Psalms. In the Psalms, you, you, can, you can almost have this sense that our tendency to hide and isolate is one of the prominent issues that the psalm is addressing. Because in the psalms, the Lord is saying, speak to me. Or Psalm 62.8, where we're encouraged, pour out your heart to the Lord. And just pour out whatever is on your heart. That's the criteria. Whatever is important to you, that's what you pour out to the Lord. That is the culture of the kingdom of heaven. I think it's what Psalm 32, which talks about when I was silent. I felt like my bones were wasting away. That's, that's the alternative, that, that, that silence, humiliation, becoming increasingly isolated, withdrawing, wanting to disappear or die. That's, that's sort of ultimately this path that death has erected for us. The, the culture of God's kingdom is, as he says, tell me what's on your heart. And the criteria is, just speak about, speak honestly about the things that, that are most important to you. And then we say, I feel like you've forsaken me. Uh, and, and then we're stunned by how he, 
how Jesus has spoken those words even before us. We recognize that silence is a kind of death. And so he says, keep going, keep keep talking. And, and at some point we believe, we begin to believe him because it's almost as if he's saying to us, well, if, if you don't have words, is it like this? Here, let me give you some words to say. And that's what the Psalms do. They, they help us to articulate those dark places in our souls. Is it like this? Or is it like this? Is it like this? And at some point, we say he's serious. He's, he's asked us multiple times to speak to us from our hearts. He wants us to speak openly. This is the way God has designed us. We know it in our human relationships. I can remember a book from decades ago. If, if only I could be known by you. If only I could be known. But I don't want to be known. Because what if you reject me when, when I am unknown? We, we all know that what is right for humanity is openness, authenticity, knowing and being known. We all know that. But we also know that if we try it, we could be doomed to rejection. We know that's true because it's such an essential feature of God's house that it's the kind of thing that the things that are so critical to the Lord, we see the, the overflow of them in, in all humanity. And that notion to, to be in a relationship where we can be open with the dark things and, and the, even the ugliness of our soul. And if we can have one person who's willing to hear those things and continue to accept us, that it doesn't get much better than that. And that is exactly, that exact, is exactly the culture of God's home when we get the knack of it. I'm so thankful that you brought that picture of God's home and even Psalm 32. I know the Lord has orchestrated this because I just read that Psalm with my son this morning and yesterday. Yes. And yesterday he, he's, um, he's eight years old and I think he's been experiencing some, some emotional changes um, just in, growing up and, and all of that. But yesterday he did something that he was ashamed about. And I go and he starts crying and I come close to him. And what does he do but cover a pillow over his face and hide behind the chair in my bedroom. And I recognize that as, you know, as I've been preparing for this conversation, the Holy Spirit just like prompted me, he's hiding right? He's done something wrong. He's feeling ashamed and he's hiding. And so I, I, I sat down on the ground next to the chair and I said, you don't have to hide from me. Can I help you with this? And it's almost that same heart of the Lord of like, you, you know, the wall of hostility has been torn down between us, right? Can I help you with this? <laughs> and even now, as you say with the Psalms, he gives us the words here, let me help you. Here's what we can say. And so with my son in Psalm 32, I, I pointed out to him, you know, what David was wrestling with. But then I pointed out how God helps us. He says, here, do this. When you're feeling this way, here's how I'd like to help you. And this is the route and the path for handling this overwhelming emotion in response to, to what you've done and the way that you're feeling. So um, yeah, I think that was a really neat parallel to what you were just talking about. Christine, is your thought? First of all, thank you for that illustration. That, that is that is lovely. That's perfect. There are a couple of things that you get me thinking as you say that. One is, yep, that's that's who we are. The child, the child, that child is within us all. Now we might not put our hands over our eyes and think that nobody can see us when we do that. We might not think that, or he, he does a pillow, which is a little bit bigger. But let's assume that that is in our hearts. We do the same things 
before the Lord and before other people. With other people, what do we do? We put resumes in front of us. We, we, you know, we, we try to somehow look a little bit better to the world, try to cover ourselves up in our own way. We have our own pillows. And with the Lord, what do we do? We, we, know, we know pillows won't work, so we try to avoid him because we have a sense we, we will be seen there. So, so it's, a, it's a perfect illustration for us. But the other thing you got me thinking is since hiding is such a prominent feature of human life as we find in scripture, sometimes it's so natural to us, we don't even, we're not even aware of it. We're not even aware that we put the pillow in front of us where we cover ourselves up with our resumes, with our achievements, with our, with our, with, with our clothes, with whatever it might be. We, we, we don't even see it. So perhaps one of the things that's really important for us in light of this discussion is, and where do we see it today? And, and what do I cover up my nakedness with today? What are the places where I don't want to be seen before God and before other people? Uh, it's, it's easy for us to think that that's just normal life that we're hiding. And, and to come out into the open is, it takes, it takes eyes to be able to see for us to be able to do that. Great illustration. Thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for um, for helping us uh, to think through that some more. And I almost wonder too, you know, in those moments when I've in parenting, helping my child, um, but really anyone who's struggling with with shame or just a really negative self perception, I guess you could say, um, or demeaning thoughts, negative self talk. Um, you know, maybe if we see someone struggling, like I did with my son, and he was saying about how he just feels stupid for having done, you know, what what it was that he did why is it not sufficient or why doesn't it really work to just try and to have somebody talk us out of that statement or even to try to talk ourselves out of that statement you know something like oh I'm so ugly or I'm so fat or weird or stupid or I'm so you know like you said unlovable or undesirable or unacceptable we can't we just can't shift out of that gear sometimes when it's so deeply weighing upon us in the moment why why is that I, I, one of the things you're saying is that we can't talk ourselves out of it. We can try it. I I can remember a Saturday Night, night Live sketch with a guy named Stuart Smalley, Al Franken. And the end of the sketch would always end, I'm, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. You, know, you can see he was always trying to do this self-talk, and it never worked. <laughs> it, uh, a day later, he would be, he would be, in, the, he would be in the dumps again. Uh, so it doesn't work. You're right. We can... We can try to say, well, I'm not as bad as I seem or, or, or I'm okay at these things. It just doesn't work. And I think, I think there are all kinds of ways we could approach that. But one way is that we are living in a different house when we're thinking that. We are, there are two different houses. There is, there is the house of God to which we're always invited. And, it, and it, there are certain rules in God's house. Outside of God's house, there are other rules. And the rules outside of God's house is we are naked, we are shamed, and we got to figure out ways to cover ourselves up. So, so how can I cover myself up? Well, maybe I can be more attractive, or maybe I can lose weight, or, or maybe I can get a degree. Maybe I can do better in this or whatever it might be. But, but that house of the, always needing to do more, it never never ends. We're always going to find somebody who does it better than us. We're always going to see ways that, okay, I've measured up in this. 
but here um, it's like whack-a-mole. Here are the, all these other places that are screaming out saying you are an utter failure and you don't measure up. So, so, so outside of God's house, we, we, cover, we, we, we have to be covered with our achievements. That's, that's the only way to do it. And it doesn't work. And it doesn't work. So, so now, no matter how much we try to cover ourselves with our achievements, it will not be satisfactory. It, it still will be like the emperor's new clothes. We still have this sense that everybody else can see us. In the house of God, it's, a, it's just this very, very different world. We are covered by way of our association. We're covered because we're saying, I am with you. And when we're saying, I am with you, we begin to be wrapped in his coverings, not our own. And his coverings of righteousness and forgiveness. They take a while to get accustomed to. And they get accustomed. It takes a while for us to see them more clearly. But they are, they are coverings that, come, that, that are his, that he gives to us, that ultimately are these beautiful coverings that begin to make a way for rest for our own souls. Where we don't have to, we don't have to finally, we, we we don't have to finally measure up to something, our parents' standards, other people's standards, in order to be, in order to be okay before God and before the world around us. So, so you, you see what I'm saying? It's we're if if we dig deeper, there are two different ways to live. We live by achievement, or we live by association but by, by who are we connected to who, who are we truly related to and, and and as a result of that connection we have what belongs to that person we have that that person's honor is 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 even our own honor uh, and so the question is how can we leave oh and i'll say one other thing on this christine it is not even enough for jesus to say to us oh you're beautiful you're smart you know, you're, you're, you're great. I've, I've created you and you know, God doesn't create junk. It's not enough for Jesus to, to sort of pop us up and with, with certain achievements. It's, it's we have to actually leave this one place of we have, to, we have to somehow do it in ourselves. We have to make ourselves look good by our own actions. And so we have to turn away from that and say, OK, Lord, here it is. I am trying to look OK in myself. I am trying to somehow independently make myself look okay. I am trying to somehow cover myself up independently apart from you. Ay, 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 help, help. And, and, and he obviously he invites us back into his house. And then we learn how life lives when what we have is, is, by, is by way of him and the things he's given to us. Excuse a long, a long answer for that. But I think the critical part of it is that how do we get back into God's house? And, and when we get back in there, it's this completely different world where, where the coverings are not of our own making and they don't come independently. You know, the end result is not now I feel good about myself because, because I've done these certain things and I can stand out in the world. It's you know, now I will never be able to be enough in myself. That's not the way I was created. Now I can rest in my connection to the, the, the one who is enough. Well, for someone who is struggling with an immense amount of shame, you know, whether it be something that they have done or something that has been done to them, um, I think 
ultimately people also have uh, a tendency to wrestle with a lot of regret um, too. And you address that in this particular book, as well as topics that we're not necessarily talking about today, insecurity and failure as well. But I wonder if we could just hone in on the topic of regret in particular. On day 33 of the book, you offer a few ground rules for addressing regret after laying a very robust foundation, you know, uh, based on what we've been talking about. So it's not like you jump right there. This is definitely on the, the last little parts of the book. But can you share what those ground rules are, or at least just a high overview of what some ground rules may be for addressing regret and why they're important to keep in mind? Uh, Christina, I think one of the themes as we're talking is, is some of these things are hard to identify because they're, it's, it just feels like life rather than life that has fallen apart and, and, and God actually speaks to. So, so perhaps the first step is to simply say to our souls, souls, you have, my soul, you have regrets. And what are they? And so the, perhaps the first thing is just to be able to identify them in, in some way. Uh, what are the if-onlys in your life? You know, if only I hadn't, or if only I had done that. Um, and they can come in all kinds of different ways. You know, a wrong choice that stays with us. There are still consequences. Sometimes it might be our sins. Oftentimes they're sexual sins, drug sins, drug drug related sins that 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 we might say if only. Um, and, and and what we're what we're thinking is that moment sort of it was a fulcrum. It turned our lives in a particular way, and it's, there's a bit of doom over the thing as a result of it. So so the first thing is how can we find the regrets? Sometimes it's it's a it's a decision that wasn't wrong, but it's had bad consequences. I feel like we should have not never gotten married to this particular person, and now we're stuck, and we're sort of on this B track or C track for the rest of our lives. Sometimes we have regrets over what has been done to us, victimization, a horrible victimization, where, is it, where this, there's a sense, if I hadn't been at that particular place at that particular time, perhaps I could have avoided it, if only that. Now, obviously, that has nothing to do with what, what we've done. It was done to us, but it still has a sense of regret. I, so so how, can, how can we first identify what are the regrets? What are the onlys? What are the things that in your life, you say, oh, yeah, yeah, you sort of wince when you, when you think about them? What we're, what we're saying now is those things are very, very important. They are going to mute the good words of God to you. You're going to feel like a bit of an exception because you blew it long ago. And, and you know, that sense of being unlovable, you, you're just not right anymore. You are a broken object and you're never going to be quite made right. Christine, maybe, maybe you could go with it a little bit further, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking really minimalistly right now. I'm thinking, okay, let's find it. And then once we find it, Let's say we got to do something. We got to do something. Don't let this thing linger. If you let this thing linger, there will be no option for full life, as Jesus described it. There'll be no option for joy. You'll just feel sort of the, the, the tentacles of death as, as sort of normal life for you. Do something. Talk to Jesus about it. Talk to Jesus about it. Be open with it. Talk to him about it. Say, what are the regrets? Be specific about it. And then say, Jesus, help, help. Perhaps you're going to talk to a friend about it and ask for prayer from a friend about it. Um, 
Uh, perhaps you could go to David with his child from Bathsheba. It's hopeful. It doesn't give us, we're not going to find Christine, this, this story in scripture says, oh, voila, my regrets are gone. This is great. I love this. But we will be set off in a course of hope. And, and by the way, I think one of the, the geniuses behind that, you know, that being that regrets don't just sort of slip away and they're gone forever, is the Lord has a better way to be able to cry out for help persistently, uh, recognize that, that these things will continue to dog us. These are occasions for us to say, Jesus, help. And there's nothing more human, no, nothing more beautiful that we can do in responding to the Lord than Jesus, help. I depend on you on this. But we can go to David's story with, with the child that died, where obviously here's a regret that affected his entire kingdom. It's a, it's a huge regret. Because of what he's done, people have died from this. So here the child is sick, and, and he's, he's beside himself with regret and, and asking the Lord to save the child's life. The child dies. And what does David do? He, he basically does what Job did. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he gets up and cleans himself up and says, what is my calling today? He tries to live in today rather than, and he trusts God for the things that have happened. The other passage that, that I come to often is this passage in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That we, we know this, heaven will not be a place of regrets. There will not be if only and how can we how can we live in a way that heaven is not a huge shock to us how can we practice how can how can who we are becoming how can that how can that sort of guide who we are now excuse this very guyish illustration but i think the football games where they talk about the momentum hey i think we can win i think we can win you know they, they can see it they can see something out there and and that you know that that picture of winning all of a sudden they start playing in a completely different way they're 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 they're, they're strengthened as they have that hope well live knowing of this grace the hope that will be the grace that you will receive when christ is revealed fully to live in that regret-free zone and to practice it presently so christine it doesn't answer your question how can we sorry how can we be how can we jettison our regrets? It's more, let's identify them and let's speak them to the Lord and say, Lord, help. And these are just a couple passages that, that we can sort of carry as we're going to God's house and living in God's house. These are ones that can sort of stay in our soul that, that can guide us a bit. Yeah, and it's hard and sometimes painful work, isn't it, to to bring some of these things out into the light that we have maybe have been putting off thinking about. Um, you know, like you say, we haven't even spoken them aloud. And it's not as though the Lord doesn't know our hearts. It's not as if he as if we're telling him some surprise, shocking information. But it is interesting just to kind of observe that, even as you said in the very beginning of that, God knows we can't hide and flourish at the same time. And so even just putting those things into words, um, not only to the Lord, but to other people, you know, is part of that flourishing process to get us to move from, from hurt to hope. And even, you know, again, going back to the illustration with my son is like, he didn't even want to talk 
talk to me. You know, it's like, well, here I am. I want to help you. Let me help you. Let's talk about it. And it's the same, you know, kind of disposition with, with the Lord and what, what you're talking about, just his invitation to come and, and to come let us reason even, you know, over some of these things. Yeah. yeah. It, that illustration is, is, again, it's so helpful where we cannot speak to the Lord because we're ashamed. We don't want to be exposed even further. Or, or, or perhaps we, we don't bother speaking to the Lord because, well, he knows all things, so why bother? Well, that's not, that's not the way it even works in our human relationships. <laughs> that when our children are hiding, it becomes job number one to draw them out, for them to put words on, on their hiding, to have words together. And, and when, if a spouse knows, if I'm struggling with something and my spouse, my wife knows what I'm going through, that's not enough to simply allow silence to be part of the relationship. No, that it's in the kingdom of heaven, there are words that take place. Even though she might know what's on my heart, she immensely values me speaking those things from, from my heart to her. And that's, that's what we do in our relationship with the Lord. Even though he knows what's in our hearts, it is somehow is essential to him that we speak these words to him. That's part of the beauty of our relationship with the Lord, to, to speak them, whether we think he doesn't want to hear them or he does want to hear them. It's a kingdom where there are a lot of words that are being spoken. It's, it's not a kingdom of silence. We go into the kingdom of heaven and there are conversations going on everywhere. That's sort of the way God has created us to be. I'd like for us to spend a few minutes. Um, we've got time for a few more questions in our conversation today, uh, but I'd like for us to just kind of think through uh, the spiritual warfare component of these particular challenges. And on day 40 of this book, you write that quote, look out for Satan's devices by searching for what contradicts God and his promises. So building off of that, can you offer some examples of what those lies may sound like and suggest how we might learn to respond? Here's the rule. If you're familiar with shame, if you're familiar with regrets, if you're familiar with failure, you know that Satan has a particular interest in you. You know that he sees vulnerabilities. So you can be certain that spiritual warfare is going to be pronounced. So let's just assume that going in. So then we go to, to you know, Paul's passage in 2 Corinthians 2, where he says, he says in that passage, that we're not unaware of his devices. And I've always wished Paul would say a lot more about that. Well, what are his devices exactly? Could you remind me of that, Paul? Uh, but, but here's one image. Zechariah 3 has been helpful for me. There's a priest who finds himself in sort of this heavenly courtroom scene. And similar to Job, Satan is there. And this priest shows up in a really dirty, disgusting garment. And Satan is there to accuse. That's the entrance into this heavenly image. Satan is accusing and saying, basically, this person is dirty, far away, cast him out. And Satan is not absolutely wrong with that, but, but Satan is, is, not, is not speaking honestly about the character of God. What happens immediately is essentially Jesus in, 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 that, in, in that image, he says, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuked you, Satan. And then, then he says, now dress him up. <laughs> Take off the old clothes and, and put on the new. That image, if we, could, if we can have one passage that anchors us in the truth, that, that could be one. 
where Satan is going to accuse you and, and either say that your shame is so much worse than anybody else's and what you've done is so worse than anybody else. You are, you are an exception to the rule of forgiveness of sins. You are, you are an exception to God's love for his people. Um, we're, we're anticipating that's his accusation against us, but he also accuses God that, that who would love you? What kind of person would love you when you look this disgusting? And they're, they're going to suggest that somehow God's love imitates the love of people in our lives uh, rather than it being a holy love. So, so his, his work is going, to be, is, is going to be accusing, accusing ourselves or, or God. And for us to hear, here's God's response. He wants us close. So he is going to make it. So even though we are dirty as we arrive, he is to be close. He is going to wash us. He's going to change us. And he's going to put on these royal robes. And by the way, uh, it seems like Zachariah is an observer in this scene. And he's got this, there's this cute little section in it, if I remember it correctly. Zachariah is watching the scene unfold. And basically Satan is banished at that point. Satan doesn't have another word to accuse. So, so the priest is getting all dressed up, and he truly was dirty. You know, so, so something had to be done for his dirtiness. So he's 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 redressed, and and then and then Zachariah says, "Well, put a turban on him. You know, let's 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 make it even better. Why don't you put a, this turban on him, which was the turban of the high priest? And and by the way, on the high, the, the the little plaque on the high priest's turban, it said, Holy." to the Lord, holy to the Lord, which, which is another way of saying that, that priest, that person who's covered, Jesus is saying, he belongs to me. He belongs to me. He is, he is, the holiness is being very, very close to God. So that would be, that would be one image that might be helpful in the guaranteed spiritual battle that you will encounter if you have regrets or if you have shame or if you're living with a sense of failure. I want to ask two more questions um, during our time here. And one of them I'd like to have you talk about, because it hasn't come out a whole lot yet in our conversation is just, but you do address it in the book, is just um, the topic of humility and what role humility even plays as we begin to address the shame and regret that we might be wrestling with. You know, the first thing I'm thinking as you ask that question is perhaps trying to understand what it means to be humiliated, which is a, which is a very different word. They're, they share a similar root, but you know they have a sense of we're we're low. But humiliation is 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 total isolation. It's it's you've been humiliated by another person. You've been humiliated by what you've done, and and so you you must withdraw. That's what humiliation is. I am so unworthy i must i must remove myself go to the australian outback or go to the alaskan bush i i i must be separated from people humility is in contrast it's it's humility before the lord and it's intensely personal it's intensely relational it is us saying that i want i I know he says that I am with him and he is with me. I also want to learn to live under him, and especially when 
when I am hearing voices of condemnation that are so loud, I want to live under him in such a way that, that, that I walk humbly before him in fear of him, where his words become more prominent than the words of other people in my life who, who, have, who have been words of rejection and, and shame uh, or words of Satan himself. So, so humility is, is putting ourselves in a position to say something like, what, did Samuel say this? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Um, that's humility is we're saying, God, you and you alone speak the truth. You are the one who's, who, who, who begins everything with verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you. And Lord, give me ears to hear. Give me eyes to see what you have said. That's, and, and sometimes, frankly, for me, that kind of humility is, the, the way into it is, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for, for, for making my judgments about myself more important than yours. Forgive me for living under my standards and who I think I should be rather than hearing your words. Lord, help. Yeah. And, and, and forgive me for such things. That's not humiliation. That's just plain good. That's a delight. It's, that's, being, that's being truly human to live under his words and to, and to listen to them. And then the requirement, of course, is as we listen to them, we keep listening until they sound good. If they don't sound good, we're not listening correctly. They have to sound good. That's that's, that's the nature of the gospel itself. It's good news. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this particular book. I'd like to wrap up our time together by inviting you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening who has been living with insecurities, shame, and regret for a really long time, what would you say to encourage this listener with the hope and help of Jesus Christ? You're asking me to, to make a choice of so many different things. Let me go back to, um, to an Old Testament episode. The children of Israel were really messed up people. They were really messed up people. The episode is when they are pining away for Egypt. The Lord has just demonstrated this miraculous delivery from the bowels of death itself in, in Egypt and Pharaoh. And he makes them his own people, this distinctly his own people. And they, they keep testing him and rejecting that. So and I, I, I say that context because the words that you're going to hear are, you, you have to be able to own them because they're, they're spoken to really messed up people, really messed up people where the Lord says to, to the leaders of Israel, he says, speak these words to the people. Speak these words. This is God himself saying, these are the words I want you to speak. The Lord bless you and keep you. That's who God is. He desires you to be close. That has been his intention all along. He doesn't reluctantly draw you close. He doesn't roll his eyes. It is his, it is his desire that you are close to him and he will do it. He says, the Lord bless you, which 
the Lord continued to show his favor to you. And then the Lord turned his face to you and be merciful to you. Lord, lift up his eyes to you. He sees you. And the scene is, it's, it's, he sees how you are covered in the garments that he has given you. It's seeing you in, ah, it's, it's seeing you in the similar way where I'm seeing my grandchildren and I haven't seen them for a week. Ah, oh, kids, great. Get over here and let, oh, get over, every one of you get in here. Let me give you a big hug. It's that kind of lifting up his face. Ah, oh, there you are. It's, and in that, in that hug, in the God seeing you, bringing you to himself, may you have peace. So that's, that's, that's the blessing from Numbers chapter six. And, and then all the words of Jesus and the acts of Jesus are, are sort of infused into that. But the important thing I, I, I want you to hear is that it is God's delight that we are close to him. It's, it is his plan. From the very beginning, our hiding, our, our, our isolating, withdrawing, and looking for our own coverings, his plan was, I am going to draw them back to myself. And here's the way I'm going to do it. And ultimately, obviously, the path moves through Jesus Christ himself. And one of the passages that, I'll just take one New Testament passage for this. I think it's 1 Peter 3, 8. Christ died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. That's why he died. Because he wanted, he wanted his people close. And, and that's the way he did it. He sought us out, even on this path of death, died on our behalf. And, and the reason he did it was so we would be close. That's his desire. Dot, the dot, the dot, the dot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's so many other good things to say, but allow that to have just a little tiny spark of hope in your soul. Yeah, I think those are wonderful encouragements. Ed, thank you so much for just your pastoral reminders of what the scriptures have to say and how they encourage us to come and, and receive God's help, not to hide, but to let let Him help us, let Him help us through these things. And um, and so I'm really thankful for that. I want to let the listener know that if you're interested in learning more about this book or more about Ed's ministry, if you're not familiar with all of the work he has done at the CCEF for a number of years, uh, you can scroll down in the show notes, click the link there, and that will take you to a place on IBCD's website where you can access all of that information. And I, again, am so tremendously thankful for the honor of being able to talk to you about this book, and I cannot recommend it more highly, and I hope that the listeners will be encouraged to check it out for themselves as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Christine. I'm invigorated for the rest of the day. Thank you for the time. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.